And live from New York, it's Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. With Season 42 officially behind us, we thought it would be fun to take a look back at some of the season's most memorable moments, as well as discuss the show's renewed cultural and political relevance. I'm John Murray, and I'm joined this week by Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR, and you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out, and they're greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Looking at season 42, it really was a great time to, to jump into the cast, because this has been an exceptional year uh, in many regards. For SNL, obviously, they've had a huge ratings bump and yes. uh, a lot of renewed interest, and, and the Political commentary has been sharper than it's been in in a long time. So there's been an awful lot to like with SNL and just a lot that's worth talking about, which is obviously why we wanted to regroup and and really take a um, kind of like a high level look at the show uh, and look at the season as a whole and and kind of just see what it all means in the final analysis. Yeah, we picked a good season to to start the podcast for sure. Yeah, we really, really did. Now, just to kind of frame this, let's jump back briefly for a moment to a much simpler time. We're talking September, 2016 here. Obama was president. Hillary was a shoe in and a little over half of America was pretty certain that Trump was just going to be kind of like a bizarre footnote in history um, by the end of the year. And obviously <laughs> things didn't exactly go as planned, but <laughs> this is the world that season 42 of Saturday night live was born into. And uh, I th- think we can probably both agree that <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone saw it coming. Things have seriously uh, changed <laughs> the the whole political landscape, the cultural landscape. Everything has taken a, a big left turn uh, over the last eight months. And SNL was kind of along for the ride. So this is this definitely is a, a unique uh, season to to try and make heads or tails of, but we're going to do our best here. Let's, let's kick things off. We're going to quickly run through a few of the headlines from throughout season 42. Agent Panda checked in and asked this question. What as a retrospective, do we think about SNL's portrayal of the current president of the United States? So first big news item of the year, Baldwin is Trump. He signed on for the whole year and we got a heck of a lot of them. Now that we've kind of seen it as a piece, like where they started with the debates and then, you know, where we brought it to a finale there a couple of weeks ago at the piano. What do we make of, of SNL's take on the president? Like what was their angle? What was their viewpoint? And was it sharp and did it work? Did we like what they brought to the table with Baldwin as Trump? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, they made the most organic choices when they were fleshing out this caricature. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's common criticism that... He's a, he's a little thin skinned and, uh, you know, things upset him and he does tend to be a little childish about it. So for them to really play up that child angle and, you know, give him that, uh, that ball that grows, <laughs> yes. expands and detracts. I, I don't know the name of it, but yeah, like kind of playing into that, just like they did with Joe Biden when he was vice president. Sure. Yeah. It was something that was missing from our last president caricature on SNL because Jay was obviously really accurate with his impression. But if you look back, you know, there's not much you can say about the character of Obama on SNL Mm -hmm. when there's been so much um, 
threaded through this season for Trump, like all the supporting characters, you could say like Putin and his sons, you know, they, they were really consistent and they hammered out a lot of uh, recurring motifs that help the whole character work. Yeah. That really is kind of the big difference with their political take this season than in past seasons is they've really made a point of building a whole kind of world for the Trump character to inhabit. He does have all of his aides and I mean, the show's done that in the past. They'll take whatever the headline is and they'll, they'll bring in whatever characters they need to, but they just managed to strike gold so many times throughout the season, like with Kellyanne Conway and then with spicy that uh, it, it just kind of seems like it, it was a much richer <laughs> uh, tapestry <laughs> that they, right. that they were able to put up than in seasons where kind of like you mentioned with Obama, there's just, there isn't that much to say. There just isn't really a joke there to find. And so there's no point in making the effort to really make well-realized supporting characters for the president to interact with. So uh, just from a, an effort standpoint, I think they went above and beyond in trying to create a world that they could find a lot of humor in. And uh, I think it worked pretty well. If, if, if I had like a, a five second takeaway of, of kind of SNL's season 42 political um, element, I would just say that uh, they kind of just came out furious and they just really ran with it and, and mind it for all it was worth. It was really good. I, I haven't seen anything sharper on SNL maybe in my entire viewing history of the show. So I thought, thought it was really well executed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a look at uh, Reddit user live from New York. 95 mentioned that vulture ran an article. What would the SNL season have been if Hillary had won? So they just kind of, you know, speculated on the direction it would have gone after November if, if we didn't have the election upset and, you know, so much polarization in the country. So do you have any thoughts on maybe what we'd be talking about right now if we lived in a bizarre world where Hillary became president instead of Trump? I don't know. Maybe Philip K. Dick can write a book about it. <laughs> sure. But um, you know what? It would be not nearly as much politics discussed throughout the season. Like even the hiring decisions that Trump makes has been so much fodder. Right. Like we've gotten so many uh, great moments just out of the the circle that Trump has around him of right. people like Spicer and uh, Melania and his sons, etc. So I don't know if it would be as memorable. Like obviously the ratings were up so high because you know comedy shows always have a peak when people are not satisfied politically. Right. So. If we saw Hillary won, we probably would have seen a lower rated SNL uh, with more emphasis on the silly stuff and not so much about current events. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, that's that's probably a fair assessment. There most likely just wouldn't have been that much of a story. I, I don't see the Republican or sort of right wing uh, element uh, maybe taking it as hard <laughs> as the the democratic faction of the country took it. So there probably just wouldn't be as, as much to draw on and Hillary probably would have been a, maybe a more middle of the road and not much to say, not as provocative uh, president. So yeah, there just might not have been a, a goof and the show would have had to pivot and get back to business as usual. We wouldn't have a spicy. We wouldn't have had this big sort of like celebrity piling on of support throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And we certainly wouldn't have had the season culminate with the coast to coast. Let's just take SNL for all it's worth because we've got the ratings to, to really like, make this bigger than it's ever been. Uh, we just, there'd be no notion of any of that. It just would have been a typical season of SNL with a strong cast. So it probably would have been perfectly serviceable and satisfying, mm -hmm. but it would not have been one for the books. And that's what Trump has given to SNL. And well, 
God love him. <laughs> yeah. Like the mixed emotions the writers must have. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> you know so many of them in there, they're not the biggest Trump fans. Yeah. We wish he didn't exist, but man, it's great. The Trump exists. <laughs> it's great for business. <laughs> yeah. Little bit of conflict, I'm sure. <laughs> now, a few other big highlights that showed up throughout the season. Chappelle came back into the spotlight and he had an episode to kind of reemerge and reestablish himself as a stand-up great. How, how important do you feel that episode was like timing wise with the election? And then just the fact that this is Chappelle and, and he hasn't really been on the radar in a while. How kind of big a moment do you think that really is in the grand scheme of things? Is that something we're going to be remembering a few years down the road? Absolutely. One thing that comes to mind is uh, how he mentions at the end of his monologue that he plans to give Donald <laughs> Trump a chance yeah. and hopefully he'll do a good job for us. Yep, right. Yep. Because, you know, he was just elected. We hadn't seen what, was going to unfold sure. and now we've seen a scandal after scandal. So it kind of stings a little bit. If you go back and rewatch that part <laughs> yep. and all the, re- the sketches in reaction to the Trump election that are in that episode, they're all going to be very important in figuring out how people reacted to this election from a historical standpoint. Yeah. It paints a very nice little portrait of the feeling of the world that week. Yes. I think it's really interesting that they had lined up Chappelle, obviously, you know, a few weeks beforehand, if not further out when the assumption was that Hillary was going to take it. So it appeared to me uh, watching the show that they kind of were looking to Chappelle to kind of have a uh, sort of like a jubilant episode, like a a victory episode. That's, I think that's why they queued up a tribe called quest. I, I know that there's a connection there between Chappelle and them as well. So who knows how that actually came about, but it just seemed like there was supposed to be just something uh, very positive and upbeat about the show. And it is interesting to see them then have to take the world they were handed and recraft the show. Sort of like you said, to speak to really how a lot of the country was feeling that week. I I think it's fascinating. And I think a lot of that context may be lost to history, but uh, when people watch it down the road, I hope they appreciate just kind of all the different (laughs) feelings and uh, just really kind of weighty happenings that got baked into that episode. It's, it's, it's fascinating, fascinating in so many ways, not to mention, you know, Chappelle's great and he really did give a stunning monologue. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so uh, 2016 rolls on the world cries and then 2017 happens and you know, the show's putting along, they're doing good. They're churning out solid episodes, but then during the Kristen Stewart episode, out of nowhere, not expecting it, Melissa McCarthy shows up as Sean Spicer and another like Grand Slam season 42 moment is born. How do we look back on Spicy now? Like how important was it that the show get another win? And just really what's what's your overall take on what Spicy was able to bring to the back half of the season? Definitely brought some headlines. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, when SNL started turning heads. People who might not have watched it in a while started tuning in. And it was because of sketches like this that were making it online on Facebook and what have you. And they're, they're basically just going viral. Yeah. So it definitely did wonders for the season and how it was received. Yeah. And yeah, you know, aside from it being a celebrity cameo and all that, it was, there were some good pieces written for that, Mm -hmm. for that character. Yeah. Definitely a win for sure. One of the high points of the season. Yeah, it definitely was. I think it's amazing that that came together 
right when the show was kind of starting to lag a little bit, like they had a great plan for the first half of the season. They thought we're going to ride this Trump hysteria all the way to the election. We've got Alec Baldwin in the mix. We're going to have a really like great opening half of the season. And then they probably just thought it was going to be business as usual. So it's, it's really interesting that it just really hit as well as it did. Cause I, I don't know if they would have had the opportunity then to kind of parlay it into the let's go live across the country situation. Like, I don't, I don't know if the ratings would have supported them having a lot of conversations about how we can really build the back half into something better than maybe we were planning, but because they had another ringer, they had another draw to the show. Um, I think it opened up some doors to them and they were able to keep up the momentum a little bit better than I was expecting anyway. So I was very happy that they got that win when they did. And I think it just really, really helped round things out. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Now here's the hopefully fun part of the podcast. Now that we have an entire season's worth of material in front of us, I thought it would be a lot of fun for us to step back and kind of pick piecemeal the sketches and musical guests and segments and features that we thought were really outstanding and put them together and try and build like the perfect season 42 episode of SNL. So we both went through this exercise and we're going to compare notes and see, see what we think really were the standout moments of the season. So to jump in, let's talk about the cold open. What did you think was the best cold open of the season? I'm going to go with the vice presidential debate. At least that's how the cold open started, but it was the one that cut to breaking news of um, Trump's pussy grabbing comments. Right, right, right. So yeah, I was impressed with that one because, you know, that piece of news dropped (laughs) pretty soon before they were supposed to go to air. So uh, it was a mad dash to get that in there. And for, for the time they had, it played pretty well. And it's a good representation of the vibe that we've had to start off the show all season. Yep. And that was probably one of the big moments that, uh, kind of culturally everyone was aware of, you know, when those comments dropped and what that could have potentially meant for his campaign. So, uh, it was a big moment and yes, they needed to capture it. And yes, they were on borrowed time. And I think Kelly and Schneider have done a couple interviews since then where they, they discuss kind of the, the week and how that all came together. So yeah, that that's definitely a memorable and important cold open for the show. Uh, for my part, I'm giving it to the first incarnation of the Sean Spicer press conference, which was in the Kristen Stewart episode, not actually as a cold open. It was one of the front half live sketches, but I think you could tell from the structure that it was written to fit in the mold of a cold open. And obviously in, in future outings, they used it as the cold open. So I, as, as far as I'm concerned, that, that fits really nicely as a cold open. And I think when Melissa McCarthy came out as spicy for the first time, that was such a big moment that I don't know how you would top it as, as something that would be appropriate for a cold open and was a really big moment for the show. I think that's right up there. So that's my pick. Bit of a liberty taken there, but I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, we've played a little fast and loose with a few of our, our placements, but for the most part, we've stuck to the intention of the sketches and where they belong in the show. Okay, let's look at the monologue. What was your quintessential monologue from season 42? I'm giving it to Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I was super excited to see Chappelle make her comeback, and he pulled it off. He had a great monologue. I loved the material. Yeah. The bits about the Trump Hotel, um, the stuff about Pulse Nightclub, mm-hmm. and it was um, it was topical. It was the first monologue we had after Trump was elected, and you know, Chappelle never ceases to amaze me. So that's, that's easily a pick for me. And I, I knew that one. I didn't even have to think about this one. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's fair. This was our first great stand up monologue of season 42. 
Um, we obviously had a glut of riches when it came to having stand up uh, on SNL, but at this point we hadn't really seen anyone yet do that. So uh, this was, yeah, this was really, really great for my choice. I picked Lin-Manuel Miranda's not throwing away my shot musical monologue. I thought it was just a stunning display of his abilities and uh, it was just really tight and really effective and the lyrics in it because it, it moved very fast and he was able to really say a lot about the show in that song. It made it even more satisfying for fans. So it just, it, it really won me over very quickly. It was very charming. So I, I think that's a, a solid monologue. And I think it, it served its purpose as a monologue in that it created a lot of good energy for the show. And that's something that I look for when I see monologues. And so it, as far as execution is concerned, I think it was flawless. So I think it's a really great example of what a monologue can be when everyone just brings their a game. So that's going to take it for me. Yeah. He had a bit of a hurdle to jump Lin-Manuel uh, where he's famous for Broadway theater. Mm-hmm. He's becoming more and more known, but at the time of this episode, you know, he wasn't the household name that he might be turning into. Sure. So he had that uh, working against him, but the fact that he could get everyone so excited uh, for the episode with that monologue, that says a lot about his talent and why he's so successful. Yeah. 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 It, it definitely, definitely showed us a lot about him and what he could bring. And it just made me feel very confident about how the show was going to unfold, knowing that there was a talent as strong as that uh, in the mix. So yeah, it was a big win. A lot of fun. Our first live sketch of the night. What did you think was a, a fitting kickoff for the, the live material? Uh, going to a more recent one for this, actually the most recent, in the finale with Dwayne Johnson, mm-hmm. they did an opening sketch. It was a, a wrestling promo. Yeah. And I forget the, the fake uh, wrestling names, but they were funny. Trash Aired Mutt and, oh, uh, Coco Watch Out. Coco Watch Out, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, this is a sketch I loved the first time I saw it. And I always have fun with it. And Bobby was amazing Mm -hmm. in my perfect world. I think that would be a great way to kick off an episode after the monologue. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really, really solid, solid sketch. And because we hadn't seen too much of it, we only see it when the rock shows up. It feels fresh. Yeah, it was good. It it was a good high energy sketch too, with, you know, the rock being able to do some of his over the top theatrics of a, a pro wrestler. Yeah. There was a lot to like, a lot to like. I went with why is Benedict Cumberbatch hot? When that first dropped, I thought that it was a pretty creative take on a game show because it was a little self-referential and Beck Bennett was really good in that character of being a little insecure and just, uh, yeah, just awkward. And, and there was just a lot of unique ideas that you don't see in your typical run of the mill game show sketch. And, uh, it had a really satisfying conclusion where he gets one over and it just, it, it just felt like a very complete <laughs> sketch with a, a very clear intention that was well executed. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a great sketch. Um, it was a uh, kind of a glimpse into what was going to unfold throughout the season where we kind of got to know the cast as people. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of recurring sketches with like Kyle and, and Leslie getting together. Right. Leslie trying to become Trump. <laughs> there was a lot of, a uh, lot of material that relied on knowing the cast member as, as themselves. Right. And this was probably one of the first examples of them going in that direction. Yeah. They really leaned into the SNL cinematic universe. Yeah. As we've coined it. Yeah. So first pre-tape of the night. I thought a good pick for that would be the Pepsi commercial. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really well done uh, production wise. They were able to recreate all the elements from the 
commercial really, really well. <laughs> and yeah. it was, it was a funny, clever way of commenting on that ridiculous commercial, which needed to be done. Mm-hmm. People kind of expected SNL to, to bring it up and, and they delivered. Yeah. I really liked it too. I'm, trying to figure out what exactly it was about it that I thought made it more special than just your typical run of the mill pre-tape. And I think it's that they didn't go for the obvious, uh, joke of just like spoofing the actual commercial commercial, like just doing a more heightened, ridiculous version of something that's already heightened and ridiculous. Um, instead they pull out and they get in the mind of the people that allowed this travesty to happen. (laughs) Yeah. That's really smart to find that, that way into the material and sort of just sidestep the obvious joke. And I think they deserve some credit for that, but I didn't pick it for mine. I picked the conclusion to the Epic Totino's trilogy where Vanessa Bayer's character, her unnamed character, finally finds love in Kristen Stewart's uh, Sabine, right? It was Sabine was her name, I think. <laughs> I couldn't tell you, but that sounds like it. Yeah, I think it was Sabine. This, to me, these Totino's commercials have been getting better every time they revisit it uh, because they've learned that they can kind of jump out and 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 spoof a whole nother genre of, of media. It's just, uh, I don't, I don't really know what to say about it other than it was flawless in, in its concept and in its execution, the production quality of it. And it was just really, really smart and a lot of fun. And, uh, now that Vanessa Bayer's gone, it's even a little more bittersweet to see some of the, the really fantastic material that she was able to, to bring to the show during season 42 and what will probably be missing moving forward. So yeah, this, this to me, I think is a really solid pre-tape that shows the best of what season 42 offered. And yeah, you said it all right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not really add to that. It's perfect. Yeah, it was a good one. So another live sketch. What's, what's right up there for you? First half of the show quality live sketch. Well, you know, I didn't think I could use it as a cold open because it wasn't <laughs> a technically a cold open. Right. I picked uh, the uh, first Spicer sketch. Sure. And well, I picked it for the same reasons that you picked it for your cold open. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was such a high point of the season, um, you know, made more headlines than Baldwin playing Trump, it seemed. Yeah. So I had to put that in somewhere. It's uh, We don't have to go over it again, but we, we know why it should be there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fantastic sketch. And the first version of it, when you get that surprise of who is that under that makeup and then realizing it's Melissa McCarthy and then her just bringing the the fury, bringing the heat, <laughs> bringing her timing and just the comedic perfection in, in her performance, seeing that just fall out of the screen for the first time. Uh, that was a big, big moment. Yeah, very, very valid <laughs> to to give give that some additional props. Yeah, I, I don't think we can say enough good things about Melissa McCarthy's abilities and and how clever it was that they found that angle for. Her. I chose truly madly deeply the sketch where Jimmy Fallon is trying to win back Cecily Strong, only to find out at the end that he is in fact Doug, the United Airlines thug that beat up that guy. Such a fun little joke at the end that you don't see coming, and it just was really satisfying that it all built to that. It was a little goofy, a little ridiculous, but there was no like big obvious joke, and then they just drop it on you, and it, it landed really well. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I think it was perfect because the premise that they started off with, it was silly, <laughs> you know, it was it was funny. Yeah. And it didn't lead you on to think that there might be a twist coming up. Exactly. And it made that uh, reveal all that more effective yep. because it was not expected basically. Yeah, this was fun. This was a good sketch and the the kind of goofy charming stuff that you want in the first half of the show when when everyone's just ready to giggle. You don't need anything too too thought-provoking or bizarre at this point in the show and that's 
exactly the kind of sketch that I want to see. Yeah. So let's talk about another good live sketch. What was your good follow-up to, uh, to the Spicer press conference? I was a fan of the, um, the sectionals sketch <laughs> from Louis CK. That yeah, bizarre little inscrutable sketch. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was nervous laughing at this <laughs> sketch more so than humorous laughing. Right. It was a great character for Louis CK to play. He really killed it mm-hmm. and got that creepy vibe just right. It was such a bizarre sketch. Like I love weird stuff. So this is exactly, you know, my cup of tea for humor. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I like sketches where they unfold a story, kind of just the subtle exposition that comes out during a sketch and it starts to paint a picture of really what you're seeing that you don't quite understand. You know, it starts filling in the gaps. This was one of those sketches where as it goes on, you realize it's not even a commercial. He just videotapes these for his own weird satisfaction. And he doesn't even like run a store. He just has a space for his obsession. (laughs) His whole life basically came crumbling down around him because of this bizarre couch sickness that, that (laughs) he's left untreated. It just, yeah, it was uh, it was a weird one. It was definitely a weird one. (laughs) I went with dog brain translator, uh, the one from the Scarlett Johansson episode. I liked it for a few reasons. The first one was that I thought it had a very interesting take on a informed Republican voter and SNL hasn't spent a lot of time presenting that type of a character. So the fact that the dog actually had measured and reasonable things to say, it was unexpected and it just made it a little bit more fun that, uh, in in this case, it was the liberally minded people in the sketch that were sort of being so abrasive and unreasonable. It just kind of stands alone as as being a little more unique <laughs> as far as political commentary is concerned. So I, I thought that was cool, but also just the the fun of having the dog in the set with the ridiculous hat and then having the wardrobe malfunction that Scarlett then has to come in and try and salvage while everybody's ad-libbing their lines on the fly to kind of keep things together. Seeing all that play out was a lot of fun too. So I walked away from this saying this was a good sketch, but it was made even better because the live aspect of it was so, um, well, it was just kind of riveting, riveting when a sketch is on the verge of going off the rails, but they save it and it's a big win at the end. So yeah, well-written sketch, a lot of fun. I thought it was good. Yeah. A lot of technical ambition with this one. Yeah. Who was your perfect musical guest? As close to perfect as it got for me was uh, Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a rap guy. I don't follow the hip hop. <laughs> the the hip hops that the kids are listening to. Yeah. Like it's not my <laughs> usual thing, but I can at least recognize when it's done really well. And when a uh, hip hop artist has a lot of talent mm-hmm. and you know, there is a musical quality to everything he does and he just does it so well. Like I can't help, but step outside my listening comfort zone to, to take in some, some chance. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can deny his talent. He really is doing some stunning work and his music was a lot of fun and upbeat, you know, it's kind of warm and inviting gospel laden hip hop. And <laughs> that's not something that I see every day. And so, yeah, I was, I was one over pretty quick with it too. I thought it was a lot of fun, but you picked someone else, didn't you? <laughs> I did pick someone else for my pick. I'm going with Sturgill Simpson. I feel like if there's someone who just kind of brought the house down with how intense the performance was and just how much fun and energy there was, uh, this was really, really easy to listen to and, and just a lot of fun to watch. And I was enthralled by it. It was one of the few performances where I think I really kind of like leaned forward or, or stood up. Like I just had to stop in my tracks and pay attention to what I was seeing. And, and, uh, I really, I really dug it. I thought it was great. Yeah. And this is the one I should be picking 
Um, I just thought Chance the Rapper did better at what he did. But Sturgill Simpson is the kind of stuff I'm into, actually. Right, right. Like musical taste wise. So I would definitely pick him myself if it weren't for Chance. Yeah. And I, I think either one of these would be solid picks. I think at the time when we were talking about Sturgill Simpson, we were kind of batting around who was on top between him and Chance the Rapper because kind of like you said, we can easily get into Sturgill Simpson, but neither of us could deny just how fantastic Chance the Rapper's performance was either. So I think we've always kind of had it narrowed down to those two. And I, I don't think we saw anything else throughout the season that can really challenge either of those two. So I, I think we got our bases covered on that. Oh yeah, you're right. Yep. All right, let's keep moving along. Let's look at weekend update. We're going to consider our two most outstanding featured segments from season 42. So what was your first? First, uh, I'm going to go with guy who just bought a boat. Mm-hmm. Alex Moffat. He's a new guy on the scene and he's just killing it. I think he's my favorite yep. of the three new hires. This is an example of why I'm glad to see him because this is a really fresh character mm-hmm. for weekend update. I find they overuse some recurring characters this season, you know, as great as it was, there was a lot of uh, older characters coming back right. um, like David Ortiz and uh, you know, Laura Parsons. <laughs> so to see something new, you know, that wasn't a recurring character um, from one of the new guys. It was a refreshing element to bring to the show that, that needed to happen. Yeah, it was good. I didn't think that this one was stunning um, because for me, it was like a little hard to follow a, kind of how he was mangling the English language when he was doing his bro talk. I found that a little challenging the first time through to to keep up. And even though I thought the character was funny enough, I just, because I wasn't maybe following it that that well, I wasn't getting a lot of the jokes as they happened. So uh, I don't know this one, this one was more of a mixed bag for me, but as a vehicle to show that Alex Moffat has range and that he has a lot he can bring to the desk, which we see more of uh, throughout the rest of the season as something like you said, to just show that our featured players uh, deserve a chance to bring some of these characters forward and freshen up the update desk. I thought that was uh, that was a good example because I think that was actually the first update feature that wasn't a recurring character that had happened in season 42. Like it had all been tried and true update characters and this was like the first time they let a feature player bring out something that we hadn't seen before so uh for that yeah it was a good moment and and uh alex moffat definitely showed in many ways that he's got chops yeah for sure i like alex moffat as well and my pick was eric and donald jr i thought that that was a another good demonstration of bringing something new to the desk and taking some of your characters and reformulating them into a, a new feature um, again, this was fresh and fun and I thought it was a really good outing for our new guys. And so I thought it was a big win. Yeah. That's a great pick. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of them. They actually uh, slipped my mind. And if I had my time back, maybe I'd throw that one in, but, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to own what I, what I, uh, yeah, what I picked. You're going to have to, cause we're running long. So we can't go back and re-record the segment. <laughs> no. So yeah. Um, one way or another, I think what we're really trying to say here is when they started bringing fresh stuff to the desk, it was a win for the show. And, it really proved that both Mikey day and Alex Moffat have a lot that they can bring in a lot of different uh, areas of the show. And uh, it was good to see it. Now, what was your second update feature? I really liked that Don Lazarus. Okay. A uh, character that Vanessa pulled out two episodes before she was done with the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Leave him wanting more. Leave him wanting more. Yeah. She doesn't get complacent. <laughs> 
it's true though. It's very true that two episodes out, you wouldn't expect them to be trying so hard to realize a new character. You think they could just phone it in and just bring what they've done a thousand times and the audience will be fine with it. So the fact that she found something unique and really uh, out of the ordinary for the update desk, we don't usually do them in runners where you have like callbacks. Uh, it, it broke the format in a couple ways and it's just not a character we see a lot of. So yeah, I like Don Lazarus. She was my runner up. I would have, yeah, <laughs> I would have gone with her if I hadn't gone with Jake Rochek, reports live from the friend zone. Uh, to me, this was the best moment of weekend update all season. I thought this was just perfectly realized and a lot of fun. And the thing that really just put a bow on it was when they bring in Michael Che at the end and he becomes the, uh, the selfish bad boy. (laughs) Yeah. When he gets into the middle of it and wins over the girl and leaves Jake as despondent and, (laughs) (laughs) and lonely as ever. That's just, that's good writing. That's really good writing. And uh, I loved it. I loved it. And more from Mikey day. That is great to see. It was good. It was really good. And, and this I think was the biggest like belly laugh that I got at a weekend update. Yeah. It's a good pick for sure. Yep. Uh, back half of the show. First live sketch. What took it for you? For my perfect back half. <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> oh, that sounds so wrong. Let's go with uh, Black Jeopardy with uh, Tom Hanks. I thought that was uh, a fantastic sketch. Uh, great social commentary. And and it was just, it was perfect for, uh, for pointing out some uh, social nuances that uh, have come to light in recent times. Yep. This was a definite season highlight. One of, if not the best sketch of the season as far as just having a really powerful moment tom hanks was great in it his character was uh sympathetic but still hickish <laughs> you know it's, he, he walked a fine line with that character and uh, yeah everyone did really well uh sashir zameda did well in it uh keenan thompson as always does does great yeah it, it, it was a win it was a real real win yeah, yeah, see, that's how they get you. Yep, and uh, there's no no controversy. This was my pick for this as well. So I think we're both in agreement that we would be remiss if we didn't give some attention to just how uh, fantastically refreshing and insightful <laughs> that sketch really was. It was it was strong, really, really strong. Well, now that you picked it, I don't like it as much. Okay. Uh, well, then we might as well just move on. <laughs> Back half of the show, pre-tape. I got to go with the bubble for this pre-tape. You know, Brooklyn? Oh, yeah. The bubble on it? Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, it was fun. It was a little bit of liberal skewering, which is in the minority (laughs) in season 42. So that's always nice when they find something clever about the other side that they don't shy away from goofing on. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah. I, I mean, I lean, I lean to the left, but I love making fun of liberals so much. Sure. This was something that a liberal could laugh at and identify <laughs> and, you know, maybe poke some fun at themselves a little bit. Yeah. It was, it was good spirited enough that um, I don't think anyone was overly offended. Sure. Yep. And there's a little bit of truth in it too, which is always fun. And yeah, there was, there was a lot to take away from that. That was a fun sketch. My sketch, even though it involved a clown, was not quite as fun, but it was ridiculously satisfying and well-crafted. I'm thinking of the birthday clown sketch from the Louis CK episode. This to me was some of Bobby's finest work. I think it was some of the best writing we saw on the show. And I think the editing really stood out in this, the way that they were able to punctuate jokes like him cracking the beer and then cutting to Bobby's face where he's taken out of the moment and (laughs) has to deal with yet another curveball in a performance that's already gone wrong. And then, you know, just how 
bizarre and dark they take it this was uh, this was a real ride a real real ride that uh, to me uh it's it's one of the things that i'll always think of when i think of season 42 like it'll be one of the first things to come to mind along with maybe like black jeopardy i just love you know that snl doesn't play it safe all the time when they could easily go that route sure and and go into some some darker kind of lynchian style stuff mm-hmm. and yeah this was a good pick for sure yeah yeah, this was a this was a strong outing, and uh, I'm I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad, like you said, that SNL uh, is willing to go down some of these paths because this isn't this isn't the sort of thing you see every day. But it was really really good. Now let's look at another live sketch. What about that haunted elevator sketch? Hundred floors of fright. So we're talking about the debut of David S. Pumpkins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked this one as well. I think we have to <laughs> have to highlight how. Uh, Uh, crazy people went for this character (laughs) yeah it's like a ken bone type of situation yeah it's like nothing you could really put your finger on but people (laughs) just love them yeah so what is it if you had to sum this up in like two sentences what is the sketch what did what did we take away from it this is uh taking the creatively bizarre and holding it under scrutiny okay that's really what this is and uh there's so many examples of it like space pads even though that was last season right and where David S. Pumpkins was so uh, was such a, a running hit, you know, it makes sense to throw this one as as a representation of that uh, that style that SNL has taken to. Yeah, and that's why I included it. Like I thought it was a fun sketch when I saw it, but it wasn't as impactful for me as it was for many. But we've noticed this trend throughout the season that I think it's mostly Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel that are generating these. But we're getting a slew of these. Let's just put something as bizarre as possible up on screen and, and hope that, uh, you know, we get a meme out of it kind of sketches. Uh, we've seen a lot of them from uh, Kevin Roberts to <laughs> what was it? Backpack fashion show. Yeah. <laughs> in the last couple episodes, we, we get these little out and left field sketches that are just meant to be taken as sort of quizzical little rides of, of insanity. And they usually work just, just because you don't know what to make of them till they're done. And you're just left scratching your head. And we, we, we see enough of them that it's definitely worth highlighting one that is probably the standout of the season or up there at the very least. So yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Okay. Another pre-tape. I got one for you. Yeah. Okay. What do you got? Junk. <laughs> sure. Yep. It was good. Why? Why does this make the season's best list? Oh, well, this is probably the hardest I laughed in the season. Okay. You know, the surprise factor of, of those words popping up. Junk. <laughs> it just took me by surprise. It, it took me a while to get over the, the laughing fit I had from watching this. <laughs> sure. And it, it is saying some, some smart stuff about women's fashion and, and how they market plus size sure. clothing yep. and these things. Yeah. The whole body positivity craze, like that's just asking to be uh lampooned. Sure. And, you know, it's it's just so juvenile, like like it's like playground insults. Yeah. It's like fart jokes. It just taps into my primate humor center. Sure. Yep. And that's what made it for me was how perfect the word was. I think this got moment of the night or something from both of us when it aired. We, I think we were both really smitten with it and it holds up. I watched it again and, and I forgot about the little bit at the end where the guys go to the store and they're in and out in like 10 seconds with, without any fuss. So it is, it is uh, trying to make a few different points <laughs> along the way and, and they all work. They all work For sure. really, really well. For my pick, I'm going with one of our Leslie and Kyle behind the scenes SNL pre-tapes. 
I'm going with the recital, which is the most recent one where little Lauren's recital is missed because Leslie Jones and Colin Jost are working late and shots are fired (laughs) and hilarity ensues. I thought that was as good an outing of those kind of sketches, which I think have been strong since the beginning. Uh, This was as good an outing as we've had. And I thought it really, really worked and was a lot of fun. It was really creative. And I love how like the timelines don't really add up in this. Yeah. Like they have a kid already. They're married, (laughs) even though they met earlier in the same season. Right. It it just has like such a dreamlike quality to it. And, you know, I always love seeing Lauren appear in sketches, (laughs) even though he's not the greatest performer. No, but he does have a deadpan and, and he, he's a, he's so much of a caricature of himself in many ways that it's always great when they're able to work him in. Yeah. Yeah. But let's round this out here. We need to bring it home with a 10 to one sketch. What's your 10 to one? I went for a couple's game night. If you can remember that one from the Chris Pine episode. Yep. The window incident that we couldn't quite figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't crazy about the 10 to one sketches a lot of the time in season 42. This one I thought was great. It, it kind of reminded me of certain couples <laughs> that spend a little too much time together and, and develop this kind of microculture sure. that only they can make sense of. Mm-hmm. And it just let that whole musical theater personality, it, it's a real thing. And even though they weren't real songs they were singing, they had that vibe to them like musical theater does. And it, it, was, it was accurate, but also kind of parodying it at the same time. Sure. What really tied it together was the the strong vocal performance and Cecily always does a great job. And, and I was surprised to hear how well Chris Pine can sing. Right. So that's a couple of reasons why I picked that one. Sure. Yeah, it was okay. I honestly don't think I'd put it up there. I thought maybe the pacing of it was a little weird or it, it wasn't, it wasn't really that stunning to me and I haven't really warmed up to it on second watch. But it wasn't a bad sketch and the the elements of it that you point out, like especially the singing. Sure, that was really interesting. The fact that they wrote these show tunes that have all of the hallmarks of real show tunes. There was a lot of strong elements to it. I just I felt like when they mixed them all together, for some reason, I didn't walk away feeling like it was a total win, but it wasn't bad. And like you said, for 10 to 1 sketches, it's always a mixed bag and they're always meant to uh, appeal to different types of, of comedy taste. They're not the crowd pleaser sketches. So if there's one that's going to be a little more divisive, this is probably it. So glad it was a win for you. It was just a, a mixed bag for me. Well, I'm glad you're glad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry if that was a little patronizing. I'm going with David's funeral, which if we remember from the Scarlett Johansson episode is where uh, the family of David is shocked to find out that he had a whole nother existence as a deep, like house club track (laughs) songsmith (laughs) and his quirky friends show up to perform some of his hits. Uh, that was a really, really fun outing. The songs themselves are fun. The, the cringiness of imagining that happening at a real funeral, you know, the most solemn of occasions where emotions run high to have something so (laughs) disturbing (laughs) land on the land on the floor. I thought that was a really great concept and, and a lot of fun and the perfect type of sketch to fit into a 10 to one slot. And uh, I loved it. I walked away very happy. Yeah. I just love that photograph of David. They got up <laughs> Yes, just showing the most plain looking yep. man in the world. That's what really sells the whole thing. Yeah. Cause you're just looking at that, trying <laughs> to make sense of how someone who looks like that can write songs like that. Yeah. They made sure that the photo was absolutely unremarkable. You could not pick them out of a lineup to save your life. So to imagine what, 
he was caught up in with the lyrics that he was <laughs> with the the lyrics that he was dropping. Yeah, it's it's just bizarre. Bizarre and dark and and fun and I loved it. <laughs> and that is our perfect SNL season 42 show. I would watch that. Yeah. Okay, so what we're going to do is adapt our overall ratings and reviews into a for the entire season version and uh we'll deal with a little bit of feedback as well as we go. So, moment of the season it's it's got to be that chunk. Okay. Yeah, that herd cut to white on black. <laughs> that was the the Fred Armisen moment for me this season. That was the uh that was Pete Davidson getting his head cut off oh, by that, a ceiling fan. That was your farewell Mr. Bunting. That was my farewell Mr. Bunting exactly. Okay. So that yeah, that's definitely uh my moment. Sure. It's a good one. I'm going with uh Doug finds common ground on Black Jeopardy. This to me, I've felt was important and it was fun to watch in the moment. And it just, it really, it really grabbed me. It really, really was an affecting moment that I loved. Totes. Yeah. Best sketch of the season. I think it's a spicy number one. Okay. Yeah. All right. You guys, you guys still aren't, aren't getting it. Uh, well, you need, you need some props. My word's too big. I got to show you in pictures. Great. Okay, here we go. When it comes to these decisions, the Constitution gives our president lots of power. And Steve Bannon is the key advisor. Okay? And our president will not be deterred. against radical Muslims. I think that was my favorite sketch. When it was out fresh and it was the first time we saw it, mm-hmm. I was so happy. It was it was such a nice, uh, such a good idea to have Melissa do the character and, and what she brought to that role and, and what they fleshed out for it was just gold. Yep. So that's my pick for that one for sure. Very good. I'm going with no surprise, uh, Black Jeopardy. Okay. <laughs> the board is yours, Shanice. Let's go with they be they out there saying for 200. Okay, the answer, they out here saying the new iPhone wants your thumbprint for your protection. <laughs> oh, okay then, duh. Well, what is I I don't think so. That's how they get you. Yes! <laughs> No, I read that and go straight to the government. Mm. Well, that is not bad, though. Again, for all the all the same reasons, it just really, really affected me. And I thought it was really smart and made a really strong point. And when there's some truth in it, that's even better. So, yeah, I loved it. And, and. Yeah, while being funny. Yeah, as well. Exactly. That's. That is really the missing piece so many times. You can either have something that says something smart or you can have something that affects people and, and really, you know, gets them worked up comedically, but it's hard to find the overlap. And that one really, really walked that line. It was, it was darn near perfect. Yeah. We don't like applause comedy. Yeah. Yeah. You want something that, yeah, it just shoots a little higher. It's a little smarter. And this was, I I felt a good example of that. Now, before we move on from this agent Panda checked in and said, you know, along with talking about best sketch, I want to know. What is the sketch that you never need to see again? So our low light from season 42. So not the best, but the worst. 
Yeah, maybe not the worst sketch, but just the one that you just never need to think about again. It's no surprise that someone who calls themselves Panda sees things in such black and white terms. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what (laughs) sketch do you never need to see again, Steve? I don't want to see that Bachelor reality show spoof again. Okay. Beard hunk. Oh, yeah. Beard hunk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was okay the first time. Mm-hmm. And then they've just, they've done it too many times. Like, it should never have been recurring in the first place. And the last time they did it was so uninspired. I was just waiting for it to end. Okay. So that's one I, I would rather not see again, for sure. Interesting. I thought for sure that you would go with one of the sort of like politically divisive sketches you know, the one with Sashir and Cecily singing to sir with love. I remember that one really caught you the wrong way. And I don't think you were that keen on Hillary's, um, her piano Leonard Cohen thing. So I, I was sure it was going to be one of those. I guess I just don't consider them sketches. Oh, okay. So it's a semantic thing. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's just tack this down then with those in the running. Then did either of those put you off more? Like, do you want to change your, change your pick uh if i were to change it i'd probably change it to to sir with love because yeah i i did not enjoy that but would you actually change it if given the chance no no i like my pick i'm sticking with it all right i think the sketch that i never want to see again is the kickoff sketch from lin-manuel miranda where they're around the campfire and they're singing danger zone and it's uh, just kind of this cringy thing where the, the couple sings really, really bad and can't follow social cues. It's just, uh, they were shooting for something that they never really got to and it ended awkwardly. And for a, a show that I was super pumped about because Lin-Manuel Miranda's monologue was just so perfect. This, I felt like really kind of brought the show to a screeching halt and it had to work hard to, build its momentum back up, which I think it did successfully, but this was the, the dark spot on an otherwise great show. Wow. And so (laughs) because I really liked that show. And then this is the sketch that every time I encounter it, I just, I I don't want to sit through it. It's the one that I think probably fits uh, agent Panda's criteria best. So that's what I'm going to go with. It's weird. Yeah. I I didn't expect you to pick that one. I actually kind of liked it. Okay. So let's, let's talk MVP MVP of the season. What does that mean to you? MVP of the season? Mm-hmm. This one's tough. This one's tough. Ah, because there's so many reasons <laughs> that certain people could be considered the MVP. This is yeah. uh, one of the least objective categories in our rating system. Yeah, that's why I ask, what does it mean to you? Like, what what is your qualifier for a season-wide MVP? I don't have one. I just, I just let it speak to me. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to give it to Kate. Yeah, okay. Kate had such a great year. She's really proven that she's going to be the next Kristen Wig, mm-hmm. and she'll be a household name just like Bill Hader and Kristen Wig was before they before they even left the show. Right. And you know she had Hillary, she had Kellyanne Conway, she had <laughs> uh, Sessions. She had so many breakout uh, moments and characters and and things that it it were it really was her year okay. for the show. No, you can't can't really argue with that. She does own the show. Like as far as a player that the show looks to as a a guaranteed win, right? Like she's not hurting for writers to write for. They just they know what they get with her and that 
she can turn even middle of the road material <laughs> into gold sometimes. Yeah. It's it, that's a, that's a no brainer choice. I can certainly, I can certainly get that. She's, she's the quarterback in a lot of ways. Keenan serves that role too, in a way, but as far as just a really powerful player that, that the show relies heavily on. Yeah. You can't argue with that. Totes. Yeah. My MVP. I got to go with Mikey day. I wanted to go with Bobby Moynihan for a million reasons, not the least of which is I just really, really like him (laughs) and he's gone now. So there's, you know, that's still a fresh wound, but I would defy anyone to point out someone in the last, maybe since Will Ferrell that's had as good an opening season. And actually Will Ferrell came on as a repertory player. So it's not even like he was fighting (laughs) like scrounging as a rookie or anything. So show me anyone who had a better breakout featured player year uh, than Mikey day. Um, Obviously, since he writes with the show, he had an in and he already has, you know, partners and, and has established a presence uh, at SNL. So it's a lot easier for him to generate material and, and collaborate. But even with that, he was able to do a lot and serve a lot of roles and show a lot of versatility and just really, 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 catches stride quickly. Like even from the first episode, I feel like he was a presence and just never stopped. So I'm going to go with Mikey day. Well done. Yeah. Now, uh, agent Panda chimes in again, best host and worst host. You know what? I think the best host was Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay. Uh, not my favorite episode, but probably my favorite host. Mm-hmm. It was a first time for him and you know, his theater background just made him such a natural choice and you know, you could handle whatever they were going to throw at him. So even going into it, you knew it was going to be a good show. Mm-hmm. His excitement to be there was palpable, right? Uh, you could tell this was a dream come true for him. And it was so infectious that, uh, I was excited to be watching the show, uh, with him. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely would get my honorable mention for this because of his enthusiasm and just the genuine niceness that he and humility that he brought with him. There was that whole thing where, uh, you know, he went down and hung out with the standby line and brought some pizza and just, you know, generally good guy type behavior, but yeah, total professional. It, it seems like he contributed a lot of his own voice, uh, with the writing. I think about the monologue in particular, but it's, it seems like, uh, he, he just really came to play. And those are the hosts that you want to see. Those are the ones that you want to see come back and, and, you know, start becoming friends of the show. So, uh, yeah, he, he definitely was a bright spot for the host, but he's my honorable mention. I'm actually going to go with Scarlett Johansson. I think her outing demonstrated that she's as seasoned a sketch performer as a lot of the players. Um, she's able to recover in the moment when you get thrown a, a curve, like in the dog sketch, she was, uh, you know, willing to come in and, um, get in heavy makeup and play deeper characters and be front and center and just really, um, you know, she was just really there to do anything that, that the show wanted to throw at her. And it seemed like the show's really confident that she'll deliver. And I felt that when I watched the show. And I think that's one of the reasons why we rated it so high. It just, it just felt like she was a pro and really in control. And I like that. So, uh, she won me over. She's going to be my, uh, my best host, but who's your worst host? Worst host. Mm-hmm. That's an easy one. Okay. And I feel bad that it's easy, but it, it's <laughs> clearly Felicity Jones. Yeah. And I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but yeah, I, I would expect you to pick that as well. Yeah. No controversy. I, I think she's absolutely adorable, but I can't not point out that this was 
definitely not a good fit for for her her particular skill set. It was the one episode that it really felt like there was a lot of apprehension and nerves, and it, that was just there throughout the whole show. And uh, I, I have to, <laughs> I have to lay that at Felicity's feet. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Reddit user Swins Ness asks breakout character of the year. So not like a player, but some you know new performance that went viral or whatever. Now. Donald Jr. and Eric Trump. That's what I'd pick. Okay. And if I had to pick just one character, maybe Eric Trump. Okay. But those two as a team, since they're always in pairs, you could kind of consider them a character. Sure. That would be my breakout pick. Okay. I think if we're just defining breakout as like what went viral or, you know, what became a sensation, I think it's David S. Pumpkins. I think, you know, he's the, you know, the big character, the face of season 42. He was even their Christmas card. So it, you know, the show even recognizes that, uh, that character really took off. So might be that, or maybe I should, I should probably be picking Sean Spicer. Well, that actually, yeah, there you go. If that's the criteria, then Sean Spicer could just as easily be the face of the season, but there's a lot of characters that I personally thought were memorable, but I don't think that's the same as breakout, which I think has more to do with like the public and what they latch onto. So if that's how we're defining breakout, I'm going to go with David S pumpkins. Great. Okay. Breakout cast member for me, Alex Moffat, made his mark with uh, his limited screen time as a featured player. Mm-hmm. You know, as they started to give him more to do, I was really happy that he was hired. Yeah. And we'll, we'll most likely see him next year. I'd be very surprised if we don't. Yeah. When I was going over this stuff, his name was always kind of neck and neck for me with Mikey day. As far as like people that really came out of nowhere and made a mark, like he had an exceptional first season too. I just don't think it quite compares to Mikey days because Mikey day was even able to get some traction in, in, in writing himself into stuff. So I think he probably just won screen time wise, but yeah, Alex Moffat, true talent, really, really good player and uh, a really great hire for the show. The thing that, well, I was won over pretty early by him, but the thing that I think really solidified it was the morning Joe sketch a few episodes back where he's playing Joe Scarborough and you know, Mika, his uh, significant other slash co-host is Kate McKinnon. I'm watching that sketch and I'm watching his character and how he's, you know, being playful and kind of trying to charm her in the moment and then walking that line of propriety, all of the little bits of his performance that he was uh, navigating and juggling um, was really impressive And when he's up on screen sitting next to Kate McKinnon and you see all the gears turning at the same level with Kate McKinnon's performance, but then you flip back to him and you're like, no, no, he's keeping pace. He's doing exactly the same level of characterization as Kate is. And they're playing off each other perfectly and they're catching all the beats and the rhythm is just there when he can go toe to toe with Kate McKinnon in a sketch like that. I think it says a lot uh, just about, you know, his, his potential, his skill set, And to me, that was a breakout moment for him. So. Yeah, I can. Absolutely. I have lots and lots to say on Alex and Mikey. I think they both had fantastic seasons, but you know, having said that I'm not going with either of them. I'm going with Beck Bennett because I think that this was the season where uh, he took the reins and made himself the, the best leading man. The show has right now in a season where Alec Baldwin was front and center and there really wasn't uh, as much attention put on the staff players. I feel like he really, really was a force and, you know, he had some of the, 
the biggest characters next to Alec Baldwin's Trump or spicy, you know, he was Putin, you know, him and Kate McKinnon really were, uh, just really leading the charge on, on so many sketches and new characters. And, and, uh, I, I feel like this is, this is him at peak SNL. I think this is like him at the top of his game. So I'm going to call that a bit of a breakout too. So, yeah. And that's the other way of looking at this. When you consider a breakout cast member, you could be thinking of, mm-hmm. you know, which featured player made the best first impression, right. Or which cast member overall, you know, had the most measurable increase in status yeah. on the show. Yeah. Who arrived? And that would be back for sure. Right. Right. Yeah, so uh, I think those are probably some targets that I, I think qualify for uh, Swin's Ness's question. So uh, let's put that to bed and talk a little bit more about the featured players. So in our preseason cast, we obviously you know went over their their bios a bit and just kind of uh, asked some questions, you know, about you know are they going to be able to overcome maybe just being an impersonator in the case of Melissa Villasenor and and really find their voice as a performer. Or are these guys going to just get crowded Two more white guys in a cast full of white guys? Like is, is there going to be anything memorable about these new guys? And is Mikey day going to be able to hold his own outside of the writer's room? So we had all these questions going into it. Uh, now that we've seen the season, how do we feel first off about Melissa Villasenor? Well, I think she's great. She hasn't had a whole lot to do, right? There's been a couple of impressions she's done on the show. Really just mostly just bit parts though. Yeah. It's hard to list a whole lot of examples of where she really made a mark. Right. The Aziz Ansari episode might be the best example of what she can actually do for the show. Mm-hmm. Don't know if it's enough of an impression to keep her on. That is the one out of the three that I would say may or may not be back next season. Mm-hmm. Of the three, she's the one that's been kind of stuck in the featured player gear. Like she, she hasn't ramped up. She's done what you would expect a featured player to do on any other season SNL. If you only bring in like one featured player and it's a a pretty tight knit cast already, you know that this is what they're going to be relegated to and you don't count it against them. The only problem with Melissa Villasenor is that she has two other featured players that just really blew past her as far as screen time and just the impact and, and amount of memorable characters and stuff they were able to bring to the screen. There's no question that Mikey and, and Alex are in a, a different league at this point. And that's what scares me because like you said, I like her too, but we certainly haven't seen anything that says that uh, she can offer the show as much as the other guys. And uh, yeah, it, it makes me wonder, you know, there's a lot of other up and comers that could probably do as much, if not more than she was able to do this season. I wonder if the show is going to have to look seriously at that. And uh, yeah, it'll be a shame if she does go and we don't want to see her go, but yeah, I don't think she's, I don't think she's super safe at this point. We shall see. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Alex Moffat. Yeah. As I mentioned before, he's my favorite for Mm -hmm. sure. Such great impressions. And you know, that's one tool in his, in his toolbox. He's not just an impressionist, but it's so great that he can uh, dive into these uh, impressions the way he does. I just feel like he, he, he looks at comedy differently. Like he's, he's got a, a fresh approach to what he does. And I think he's, he's going to have a, a full run, at least seven years on the show. Yep. Yep. I don't think the show's looking to, to cut him. He, uh, he came out strong. He had a really great season and, uh, has enough characters that are probably going to be relevant too. that. I I think he's safe from all sides. Uh, Alex Moffat fun fact though, before we move on, I saw a video not too long ago of him participating in the Chicago bulls dunk team. You know, the guys that use the trampoline to do acrobatics during games. 
Oh, very good. Yeah. He was actually part of that. He was, he was one of the performers. Really? Yeah. Yeah. In a previous life prior to SNL. So he's got some basketball skills. Yeah. So if there wasn't enough reasons to think, you know, this guy's awesome, uh, just, you know, it's, he, he's probably better than you in every possible way. <laughs> like that's, that's my takeaway. Like if it isn't enough that he's a fantastic sketch performer and he's really, you know, had a stunning season, he's also top flight athlete on top of that. So yeah, you know, some people just turn out better. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a harsh <laughs> truth. Yep. Okay. So, uh, let's talk Mikey day. Yeah, he he's just streamlining straight to repertory player. Yep. Because he, you know, he's paying his dues, but right. where he's already been on Maya and Marty and he's already done so much writing for the show, they have a pretty good idea of how to use him. Yep. Where they have a pre existing relationship. Yep. So yeah, he's obviously safe. He had a ton of screen time, more than some of the repertory players. Mm-hmm. So it would just be stupid. Like I, I I'll I'll eat a hat if he's not back <laughs> next year. Yeah. I don't see any scenario where him and Alex aren't repertory players next year. Uh, Melissa Villasenor, I think she's 50, 50. She might disappear or she might stay as a featured player, but that's, that's kind of how I see things playing out. But yeah, Mikey day, he's, he's solid. He's going to be around and Alex too. I can't see any scenario where the show wouldn't want him back. So surprisingly great year for featured players on the show. Yeah. Surprisingly. Yeah. And that brings us down to the big question on a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this season? It'd be so funny if I picked train wreck. <laughs> it's got to be a classic. Yep. Yep. Like uh, even going back years and years, this is a season that is for the books mm-hmm. for sure. The comedy juggernaut that is Saturday Night Live is banging on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And all is well over there in 30 Rock. Yeah, like there's no there's no question. This is a classic season. Yep. Yep. This is that season. This is that one that people are going to talk about. You know, the the one where Alec Baldwin was playing Trump, the one where Melissa McCarthy was playing Spicy, the the season when Trump got elected president and the world went crazy. This is this is the uh the time capsule of that. It is classic. I don't think there's any getting around it. Uh lightning struck too many times and uh aside from a, a fresh writer's room, fresh featured players and some of the, the best legitimate deep acting work from some of the, the senior players, the, the season had it all. It was so well-rounded and so capable and they just had so many highlight moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's all there. It's a classic. It's definitely a classic. Totes. Totes. Well, I think we've said more than any reasonable person should say about season 42. So we're going to put that one to bed and uh, that's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back very soon to discuss SNL's Weekend Update Summer Edition. This has been episode number 24 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. All right, thank you both. What a beautiful hidden gift David had. Mm. There is more. I mean, but do we really need to hear them? I mean, that's the question I'm wondering. Well, I think David would have wanted y'all to hear this one. <clears throat>
Here is my butt as I lean against the wall. I shake it up and down. I press it all around, baby. Here is my butt as I lean against the wall. I drop it to the ground, baby. Turn on the fan and watch your head blow. I hope that brought you some peace.